In the first half of 2020, a huge tectonic shift happened within the energy drink market, one that will have lasting implications for years to come. And no, I'm not talking about COVID-19. So there was two kind of major events that happened in the first half of 2020. First one was on March 11th, and that was when PepsiCo acquired Rockstar Energy for $3.85 billion. And the second one was on April 28th, when PepsiCo signed an exclusive distribution contract with Bang Energy. Now, why are those particular events all that big of a deal? Why am I talking about that? That is because up until last year, the US energy drink, the top three brands in that market has not changed since 2004. So the leader in the US market, Red Bull, an Austrian privately held company has continued to hold the top spot. The second spot has been consistent as well with a publicly traded company in the US, Monster Beverage Corporation, which is also owned 16.7% by the Coca-Cola company. And then you had in third place, Rockstar Energy, which until that recent event, they were privately held and PepsiCo did have the exclusive distribution rights since 2009. Well, that kind of all changed when Bang Energy blasted past Rockstar Energy in the summer of 2019 and ending up selling somewhere around $1.2 billion that year, that completely changed the landscape and shuffled those top three players. This in itself created a bunch of earthquakes within the beverage industry as a whole, but there are some expected tremors that were gonna happen that really got a lot of the beverage portfolios to kind of wake up and understand that, hey, we're gonna to need to get aggressive on the energy beverages subcategory. And that's because everybody wanted to get exclusive distribution rights of Bang Energy. And who of the big beverage portfolios were gonna end up getting that? It was kind of like a two-man race, if, honestly, if you think about this. You had Bang Energy's owner and founder, Jack Goak, constantly kind of fighting with uh, Monster Energy's Russell Sachs in and outside of the courtroom. So if you think about that, odds are Coca-Cola Company and Monster Beverage Corporation had no chance at all with getting a piece of Bang Energy. Then you think about Keurig Dr. Pepper. They've been really kind of interested in owning the brands and they were kind of really putting all their energy already into one kind of exclusive distribution contract. Then you had kind of one that had a little bit of a chance in terms of AB InBev because they were honestly the one that had a lot to do with Bang Energy's growth in the late stage here with a lot of their distribution houses having that. So they had the data, they understood how important Bang Energy was to their portfolio, but they haven't made any kind of splashy acquisitions in the non-alcoholic space for a while. So that kind of leaves you just with one name and that's PepsiCo. Like I said, they did end up getting that distribution contract with Bang Energy. It just kind of made sense after they had to sidestep a non-compete clause with Rockstar Energy. So that $3.85 billion acquisition of Rockstar was really a way for them to kind of get out of that exclusivity and have them kind of open up and have a ton of flexibility in terms of one of the highest growing most important beverage categories in the US today. 
So with Bang Energy now jumping onto PepsiCo's distribution nationally and leaving a lot of the AV InBev distribution houses that they were a part of, this leaves like a twofold problem with AV InBev. You have them needing to obviously backfill the revenue from Bang Energy, but they also need to fill more demand for like kind of performance energy drinks with some of their accounts. And a lot of times these distribution houses are family owned, family operated, and they enjoy having those like long-term relationships. They are relationship business. That's what they like to do. So whatever decisions these AB InBev distribution houses have already made, are making now, or will make in, in the near future will have lasting implications. So I've mentioned before around like performance energy drinks and how that's kind of shifted in the market. It's no longer just okay to be kind of sugar free or have really great tasting energy drinks. The market's now trying to move like away from just conventional products and into some type of functional product. So energy drinks need to have some element of kind of functionality, some nutraceutical ingredients, some type of extra hook past the taste and past maybe the last big shift in the energy drink market with the sugar-free proposition. And what ended up happening with this performance energy drink or what I like to call the bang effect in the energy drink market was one, it created a ton of like iterative competitors and their ability to not only do well in the market, but get large retail placement because of the success of bang energy. And, and a lot of those retailers feeling confident putting them on shelf and knowing that people are gonna be interested in purchasing them. Secondly, it did force larger competitors, uh, Monster Energy and at the time Rockstar Energy, to create defensive product strategy to try to block some of the growth of Bang Energy. And then thirdly, it did help to broaden the overall market size in the consumer groups that were buying energy drinks, health conscious people coming into this that were kind of had different ways and breaking down some of the stigmas of earlier buying groups and what is perceived as earlier buying groups in the energy drink market. It's kind of helped overall just create a larger market overall because you had different people coming in because of the bang effect. Well, all these things kind of converged together and created two market bending opportunities. The first one was the ability to kind of further fragment the market overall. That could be through some different kind of functional product focuses, like kind of segmenting, like is this gonna be for maybe weight management or something around that? So kind of taking a little bit of a active nutrition hook on that. You had some innovations towards flavor and then innovations towards maybe natural ingredients over using artificial ingredients and a number of other kind of fragments that are kind of showing up in the market right now. And then secondary, a lot of these new people coming into the market have a, kind of an enhanced discoverability and that's creating some issues in terms of maybe switching around products, brand, loyalty, just having a lot more to choose from. And that's creating an ability for a lot of other entrants to come in and feel confident that they're able to get some semblance of a slice of this pie. With Bang Energy leaving the AV InBev distribution system and moving into the PepsiCo system, you are having now some different maybe beneficiaries that could be jumping on those trucks because of Bang Energy's exit. Now, Bang Energy does have some of its own infrastructure of DSD trucks. They do have their own kind of account managers and things that they continue to hold some of those um, slots. They also have been kind of trying to continue those relationships with a lot of these independent DSD distributors that are AB InBev uh, distribution houses, trying to offer them kind of some different products under their meltdown or redline offerings. You know, it's kind of 
betting on that VPX Sports, the owner of Bang Energy, is able to kind of continuously create different product innovations. Do you want to leave them early? You kind of have to make that decision depending on where and what you want to focus on. A lot of these distribution houses with AB InBev, they enjoy kind of building up these brands to a point where they then end up selling to somebody else or getting one of the non-alcoholic big beverage portfolios to um, distribute them nationally. So this is a little bit different if one, if Bang Energy already has that, they're kind of betting on secondary or tertiary uh, SKUs and they are probably going to look at replicating their model with somebody smaller. So I think there's potentially five beneficiaries and I'll kind of list them in order. First one is Celsius Holdings. It's a brand that I've talked about on my channel a bunch of different times. I believe they would be the biggest beneficiary. Um, they do also have an annual run rate of over a hundred million dollars. So it's market validated. There's a ton of customers that are looking at Celsius's energy drinks in their last uh, earnings call. Celsius noted that they currently have about a hundred distributors and they're talking and having ongoing discussions and dialogues with a lot of them that did have Bang as an exclusive partner. And now that they are moving on and, and being in the PepsiCo system, those are kind of opening up now and they're able to then acquire some of those distribution contracts. The second biggest beneficiary would be Nutribolt, which is the owner of C4. And we're expected to reach $100 million in sales this year. But a few of the executives at the company has noted that COVID-19 is causing some resistance to that goal and that would be likely something where they hit that annual run rate in early 2021. The company does have a few different energy drink offerings so they will need to streamline and differentiate that lineup to make a comprehensive retail push and having positive sentiment to acquire some of these AB InBev distribution houses. The third one is kind of a one-two punch of 3D Energy and Alani New, owned by the same company. 3D Energy and the Alani New Energy Drinks have been getting major placements. I definitely think that they have and will continue to get a lot of attention. They have a really great product. The Alani New ones especially has strong consumer following that tends to be female focused. So you have kind of a different hook with a lot of the retailers here, which gives a strong opportunity gap selling story. I think this is a combination of names that people are probably not paying attention or at least enough of attention to, but I think it's one that is going to really gain some power from this shift with Bang Energy. The fourth one is a lot larger than some of these other names that I've put on here, but Optimum Nutrition, which is owned by Glambia. I think that they will pick up some DSD gains because of Bang Energy moving over. I think they just have a pretty strong, consistent story to tell a lot of these family owned and operated AB InBev distribution houses. Um, I think that their current amino energy product isn't the best fit for the convenience channel. 70% or so of energy drink sales come from the convenience channel. I'm not all that sold that the product fits exactly. So I think Glambia is going to need to adjust to a less sports nutrition offering that pushes the limits. They do have a strong team and they have money to push the RTD market, but I think it really comes down to them having the rest of their mix of strategies to work out appropriate for this opportunity. And the fifth biggest beneficiary I think would be Raise Energy. I think it's a logical fit for a lot of the specialty accounts that have to switch over because of Bang Energy leaving. I think that they have a product that tastes really great. They have packaging that's pretty attractive and it puts them into discussions with some of those DSD partners that now are looking for a Bang Energy replacement. 
Um, I believe that the team is probably the smallest out of the five, but with some momentum, things could change fast, especially in this category as they innovate and utilize their self-manufacturing to their strength. I do want to mention a few like honorable mentions, uh, one being Ghost Energy. Um, they did receive an investment or joint venture agreement with ZX Ventures, which is AV InBev's uh, venture fund. But the timing of the product completion will keep its full potential from gaining any of the Bang Energy exits, uh, at least short term. The product will mostly live initially online through the direct-to-consumer and uh, GNC, but it should be a company to pay extremely close attention to as ABMBev puts their distribution muscle behind it. Another one is Killcliffe, which as a former CrossFitter, this is a brand that I knew in a different life. Now they've kind of come on and really focused on some of their energy beverages and kind of shifting a lot of their focus. Um, I think they've noted they've gained some DSD partners um, in some press releases in some key markets, and they seem to be taking a different approach to their marketing and product development, utilizing Rutherthal for an all-natural product. Another kind of convergence or just something that I've been paying attention to on the energy beverages side is a combination of what you're seeing with like RTD coffees and energy drinks overall. And I think as like life gets more complex and we start to create subcategories, subcategories of subcategories, you start to then blend them all up into just like one big category and this is does it give you energy is this an energy beverage i think that that's going to be all-encompassing so you're going to see kind of combinations of energy drinks and coffee rtd rtd coffee's making some kind of differentiations and fragmenting their market as well you're seeing the success of things like java monster by monster beverage corporation um, they have a coffee slash you know energy drink component there you have pepsi cafe that i think they're planning on trying to launch in the u.s they were originally thinking I think in 2020 but obviously COVID-19 threw some kind of monkey wrenches into the innovation pipelines go to market strategy um, and then also you have Coca-Cola plus coffee that is around in the international market so there is a lot of kind of different ideas that are going to be played up in terms of like coffee in the future and how that plays into kind of more packaged beverages but I think the biggest beneficiary of this mashup would be Kaitu Life which is the startup behind fast growing beverage brand uh, Super Coffee. They just finished a $25 million fundraising round, which AB InBev's innovation arms, ZX Ventures that I mentioned before, was a participant in there. So they'll help distribute these Super Coffee products throughout the U.S. Uh, Kaitu's forecasting of about $70 million in revenue this year, and they're at about, about 20,000 retail doors. And uh, they're projecting that number to jump up to $150 million in revenue in 2021. So we have what it like to say is like six big like beverage portfolios that have interest in the energy drink or just energy category as a whole. I want to kind of explain like where they are now and what's their game plan. We'll kind of start with the one that's trying to stay in their lane the most and the leader in the pack. Red Bull. They have had some kind of slippage in terms of their revenue in the U.S. Um, and that maybe might give them a little bit of, of thought of like, do I want to try to test uh, some innovation around some performance energy drinks? I think in the short term, they are going to really focus more on maybe taking some easy wins, maybe going after some more like flavored sugar-free options over like trying to innovate. But with their awesome like war chest of marketing and media assets and just 
um, sponsorships and, and just so many different kind of levers they have there. It would be surprising if they did not make a play into some aspect of like a performance energy drink. And I think that they take a different approach to it. They take a European approach to this and they look at inspiration from a, another European energy drink brand that's just kind of shifting into the US now called Nako. I think they take this like BCAA type of energy play there um, and that might help Optimum, what I talked about before that uh, that not necessarily being the best fit currently in the US, but I think if you have somebody like Red Bull that validate everything towards that angle of functional performance energy drinks, kind of changes the game for them. But I think if they did take a chance, they would probably look at inspiration a little bit different than some of these other uh, performance energy drinks that are on the market right now. Second one just want to talk about is like Keurig Dr. Pepper. They currently have a combination of owned energy drink brands. They have smaller ones. They have Zyance, they have High Drive, and they have Venom. Those are all kind of very small. If you think about this, probably about $100 million in revenue right there. And then they are putting all of their kind of chips into uh, Adrenaline Shock, which is now getting, or at least at the plan before COVID-19 was to give all their distribution push into uh, convenience and really kind of put that nationwide, see if that was a product that was gonna work out well. So I think because of COVID-19, they're kind of in the sit and wait type of an approach because they're not able to really get a lot of the data and, and use a lot of the things that they were gonna do from a go-to-market strategy with the convenience channel because of the restricted living kind of movement patterns of Americans right now and a lot of that being kind of pressured right now. You're kind of saying, all right, well, maybe we retool and kind of focus on when this comes back to life fully and we know that all of our levers are going to react the way that we think they are. Next, kind of out of the six I wanted to talk about was AB InBev, and I mentioned a lot around like who I thought maybe would be beneficiaries of who they'd go after right there in terms of the energy drink market and try to replace uh, Bang Energy from a distribution side. I think in the short term, they really kind of look at the two biggest beneficiaries of there, be that Celsius holding or be that uh, Nutribolt C4 Energy. I think they try to fill in as many gaps as possible in their distribution houses in that way. Because I think those two products have at least some, enough of like market validation out there to be a replacement to Bang Energy. Long term, I think they make a lot more bets on some of these non-alcoholic energy brands within their ZX Ventures. Um, eventually, I think they go to acquire one of the ones or two that are working very well. So if you're looking at that from you know, Ghost Energy or a Kaitu Life's like Super Coffee, I think they continue to kind of see what happens in those markets, but I think they have to make a lot more bets from an investment standpoint to make sure that they get one or two winners that are gonna be or prove to be kind of that next uh, billion dollar energy brand. A energy drink beverage uh, portfolio, one that I didn't talk too much about and kind of mention, and mostly because until recently they were kind of locked up in a non-compete kind of exclusive agreement with Coca-Cola company. And if you're not aware of what I'm talking about, I'll pop up a video here for you guys to watch on that. You could see now a lot of like mergers and acquisitions activity opening up with Monster Beverage Corporation because of that contract kind of moving away. So you're not exactly sure where that could move if they do try to purchase maybe some energy beverage play. I'm not exactly sure. They do have most of those things kind of covered within their portfolio. So I think most of their non-alcoholic or alcoholic activity is gonna be outside of energy, but they might end up looking at some of the beneficiaries of the Bang Energy distribution, DSD shift. They might take out some of that competition, but I think there's something kind of bigger at hand for at least the Monster Beverage Corporation is that, you know, are they gonna be long-term tied to 
the Coca-Cola company or not. And the Coca-Cola company has a big kind of decision to make because the Coca-Cola company owns, like I said, 16.7% of Monster Beverage Corporation. But outside of that ownership, they really have slim pickings in their portfolio of anything energy. Um, they're falling way behind in that area. So they're gonna need to figure out what do we do here? And one of the biggest kind of issues with the Monster Beverage Corporation's contract is like they're locked up in exclusivity on that contract. Even though they might have their Coca-Cola energy that's in the U.S. market now, it's not doing all that well and, and that's kind of something they had to work through arbitration. Every time they want to make a move and have some flexibility to become like a total beverage play in every subcategory, they're not going to be able to do that because of some of that non-compete exclusivity that's happening with Monster Beverage Corporation. So they're gonna to need to decide, do we just wholly own them? Do we purchase them? Or do we somehow get out of that investment so then we can make other decisions on our portfolio on the energy side? The Coke Energy uh, kind of market activity right now is kind of interesting. I don't know how well it'll end up playing out, but there are some things that maybe are things that are kind of lolling or putting pressure on it right now. First of all, being just the impact of COVID-19 and how that's kind of affecting maybe new entrants, um, just overall. I think there's also like a confusion in the category or just the product overall, the way that they did the packaging, the way that everything kind of looks. I don't necessarily think that it differentiates itself enough for people. Maybe they just think it's just another kind of carbonated soft drink. They don't understand that it's an energy drink. So I think Coca-Cola is gonna to need to kind of regroup a little bit and relaunch that in the US in a different way to stand out in the convenience store cooler. And the last portfolio out of all of them is PepsiCo, the one that I've kind of talked about the most here, at least um, in some semblance or another. They have this kind of three-headed monster that are going on in the energy play. You have Rockstar Energy now that is kind of the conventional energy play. You have the Mountain Dew brand, which has game fuel, and, and probably has some other iterations that are going to come out towards gamers. And then the distribution contract with Bang Energy that is focused on the performance side and kind of functional or health conscious consumers. So though the Bang Energy contract with PepsiCo does not have like a line to ownership or any kind of trigger clauses, um, they do also not have any exclusivity contract with Bang Energy. So they have tons of flexibility and that flexibility is important right now because you just don't really know who's gonna be you know, the next one to shoot up and this is kind of really a nascent category still even though it's such a big category. Um, there's still a ton of fragments and things that are kind of happening and that flexibility is much different than what the Coca-Cola company has their main competitors. So I think that's a huge benefit regardless of not having a trigger clause or something in the Bang Energy contract to eventually own them. Just kind of ending on a final thought here. Um, don't want to talk about maybe like who's winning the war of the energy beverages category. I don't think that's the right construct to kind of think about this because I do think this is going to continuously evolve. There's not going to be really any winner in the war. Um, but if we consider this from like a battle perspective, I think it is being handedly won currently by PepsiCo. And I think that they're also very much positioned towards continuing to win battles in the near term.